to the Love Life Church podcast and thank you for checking us out. We love God, love people, and love life, and we hope this message encourages you and inspires you. Here's today's message. Today's message is serious. You got this. I didn't say serious. You got this. And why I want you to understand this is because ultimately, in our lives, we go through something. We go through issues, difficulties. We go through seasons that are not necessarily exciting ones. We go through a pandemic. We go through different time periods where we're pressured more than normal. And that is what you can find in history books, a continuous thing that takes place. There's no time in our history where everything's perfect and it's perfect for a long time. There's always going to be an issue that arises in this country, in another country, around the world. It's just what happens in an earth that's cursed. This isn't the time frame of Adam and Eve. They screwed that up, and now we're living in a world that is an upheaval. And the only time it's going to change is, is when God changes and makes it a new heaven and a new earth. And that's going to happen, and I, I believe next week. So get ready. No, I'm just kidding. It, it, it's going to take place. God's word is always true. Everything that he's promised me personally, I'm just talking about me personally, has come to pass. Everything. Everything that he has told me has come to pass and things that haven't yet, I've already expected them to be and they will become. That is actually an, an attitude of faith. Call those things that be not as though they were. I believe and I receive, as Jesus said. When you pray, believe that you have received them and you shall have them. And these are all activations of faith in our lives. We do this on a daily basis, believe it or not. It's just when it's tied to church or or Christianity or Bible, we have a difficult time with it. But in life, we believe things, we expect things, we have confident expectation a lot of times for the negative, bad things. But the truth is, it is an activation of your faith. It, it's, it, there's, there's not a religious faith, there's faith. Your life is lived in a life of faith. And what we want to do is we want to get to the place where we're in faith or in line in our faith. And faith is that belief, that firm persuasion, according to what scripture says. One thing that really has uh, helped me is, is years ago, when I was studying Genesis, I was looking at how God came on the scene in the greatest sin of all time. This isn't like second place sin. This is number one sin. Everybody thinks they do the bad sin. No, Adam's was the worst of the worst. I mean, Adam's is what we deal with. That's how bad his sin was. And so Adam's sin and the action of God really clarified to me the type of father we serve, the God we serve. Here he is coming on this earth after the sin of Adam and the action of Eve. And he's walking as normal. It didn't say he ran to Adam. 
It didn't say he was cursing and screaming and all yelling at Adam. No, it said he came down and normal was walking in the cool of the day. Now, how many know that God already knew what happened? But see, does it, God doesn't change because of your, because of your sin, your mistake. God isn't up there going, oh my gosh, look what they did. Oh, what are we going to do, Jesus? No, God is not changing. So what happens? Adam and Eve change. Come on. Adam and Eve change. What did they do? They go hide. Because that's what normal people do when you are caught or in a place of sin. You want to hide. And so they hide. And Adam, you know, they're, it, they're in a position cowering in fear. And God's going, hey, where are you guys at? Talk to me. Does God know what happened? What was his first statement? Why'd you do it? No. Adam answers and said, we hid. We heard you and we hid. And why? Well, because, you know, we're naked and we just realized we were naked. We didn't know we were naked before and it was pretty awesome. But now we know we're naked and it's pretty ugly. That's something I need to, well, I don't want to see, but that's something that's very interesting. You know, those are the one of the things where you're like going, show us, nah, don't show us the beginning. Let's go into something else. Show me David defeating Goliath. But the thing is, is they, in response to their sin, hid from God. God says, okay, who have you been listening to? And see, that's the dilemma and that's the issue in the faith. Who are we listening to? Because I'm going to tell you right now, it doesn't really have to be people. But you need to understand something. You are listening to someone. And the greatest voice in your life is you. That's it. Who are you listening to, Adam? And God says the same thing to us. Who are you listening to? And what I want to do is I want to be able to talk to God and I want to be able to say, I'm listening to you. I'm listening. I'm doing the best I can to stay focused on your voice. Oh, there are many voices out in the world. I mean, it's, it's so cool in, in the sense of we get to choose who we listen to. You can't choose that for me. I get to make that choice. But isn't it something how we have that tendency to choose who we want to listen to? and how we want to listen, especially when we want to do something. When we know we go this way, they're going to go, no. And so we want to find someone that's going to say what we want them to say. Uh, you know, it's just like we do in Google. We do the same thing. I, I guarantee it. You sit there and I want to know about this. And there's the answer. And you're like, no, 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 no. Scroll down, scroll down, scroll down. Uh, page two, page three. There it is. See, Google says... And people, listen, I'm not kidding you. People do this in faith. They do it in doctrines. That's truths or information that certain people stand by and they bank their life on it. And they'll continue to scroll and look for what exactly they want to hear. And that's what people do. I mean, it's just, you know, if you want to look up asparagus is good for you, you're going to find it is. And then you're going to find, you know, a million other pages that say no, it'll kill you. 
Well, maybe I'm, you know, I'm exaggerating, okay? Y'all looking at me like going, I had asparagus last night. What do you mean? Does it just got poison? Does it have poison? No, but what I'm saying is it's just this. There's so, so many things that can, you can make sound like you. But what we want to do is we want to be more in harmony with sounding like God. And the only way we're going to do that is if we get his information in us, and that harmony is in that understanding that we have of God's word that line up with his. It's scary out there, and I'm talking about churches, to where if you put a song to what their belief you're going to hear, And why is that? Because they're staying in harmony with Scripture until they get to what they want to believe. See, I'd rather be making that off-tune noise alone by myself as I'm growing and learning rather than pressing and pushing and letting you hear it. Because there are a lot of times when you don't know. There are a lot of times when you're like going, what? I mean, there are many times, many, many times when I'm reading scripture, like I'm going, God, you got to be kidding me. You got to be kidding me. And we're going to talk about one of those things too. But I want to look at, I want you to see something. This is so important right now. Pay attention because this is a psychological research on human beings. And you'll like this or you won't like this. Research has shown that across the wide array of psychological events, people tend to focus more on the negative as they try to make sense of the world. Us humans, we tend to remember traumatic experiences better than positive ones. We recall insults better than praise. We react more strongly to negative stimuli. Think about negative things more frequently then positive ones, respond more strongly to negative events than to positive ones, and we make decisions based on negative information more than positive data. Is that amazing? This isn't Christians compiling this. These are psychiatrists, psychologists, mapping out the human nature. Negative, negative negative. It is the bad things that grab our attention, stick to our memories, and in many cases influence the decisions that we make. Additionally, studies have shown that negative news is more likely to be perceived as truthful. Since negative information draws greater attention, it also may be seen as having greater Validity. Oh my gosh, the crowd. What we perceive to be what everybody believes, so we just assume. Danger, danger, stranger, danger. This might be why bad news seems to garner more attention. Not this seems, this is why. We're, 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 we lean toward this. Now, why is this is so important? Because, listen, do you got this statement is something that must be normal in our lives, but it's so difficult because of the negative in our lives. We have the tendency to say, I can't do this, more than I can do this. The tendency in our lives is more to say, that's impossible, more than 
I can do the impossible. Even to say that sounds weird. I can do the impossible. Let's go ahead and say it. Say it like you mean it, because right now you see you still can't do it. See, this is what, what we need to understand. Why is it that God can lay, label us his kids, line us up as we are heirs in the kingdom of God, we have power and authority in the kingdom of God, and then when it comes to saying stuff like that, we have a difficulty in doing it. Why is that? And that's the key. That's the key. The question get, brings forth the key of the faith. And that is, is we are living a life that's a new creation life, but we have an old mindset, which the mind is how we deal in the natural. We don't deal in the spiritual. We deal in the natural. You guys get that? We don't sit there and spiritualize and press our spirits one to another to communicate. No, we do it in the natural. We communicate with our emotions. Amen? And so we have to understand this. When we look at this stuff, we start realizing, okay, if I'm in a position where my life is leaning more toward, I can do this. I can do this. If I can get to this place where I've got this, I've got this without leaning toward my abilities. In other words, not I got this because I've studied for three years, but I've got this because I know that God wants bigger and better. I've got this because this is where I'm going in my life. I got this because I have a hunger and passion. I've got this. And we start tying it to our life in, I got this in parenting. I got this in marriage. I got this in work. I got this in running a company. I got this. I got this. Why? Because we ain't walking this, we ain't walking this journey alone. We're not walking this alone. In the midst of sin, Adam and Eve are now in a position of nakedness. Remember, this is a vulnerable position. This isn't a position of strength. They are now with sin in their lives. Spiritual death has taken place. It's already happened. And now they're looking at each other in, it, it's, they're just tremoring. And God, God comes on the scene. The situation is not a wild one. It's a situation of love. How am I going to deal with this? And God does what God does. He's going to deal with the action but also get you to understand that you still have a life to live. He didn't wipe out Adam and Eve. He didn't say, well, I'll just start over. I got all kinds of dirt. I can make another one. No problem. I'll make another one. Pull out another rib. Hey, we'll start all over until we get this right. Uh, think about it. But see, that's not how God works. When we start realizing how he works, we can understand how he feels about us and how he thinks about us. God's hope, God's faith, God's expectation, God's belief, God's love. So when we start seeing that, we start really, okay, I want to get to the place where I've got this. That's what I want for my life. Amen? 2 Corinthians 5 to 17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in a Christ... 
They are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. You're a new creation. You're new in the inside. Ephesians 4.22 says this, put off the old self. Wait a minute, I thought it was a new creation. That's the dilemma with most most churches don't deal with this issue at hand right here. They revert more to a legalistic mindset of actions tied to faith or salvation. When you read the scripture, you start realizing the differences between the two. That is, the new creation is that perfect you that's in line and connected with God. On the other hand, you have a soul and a physical body that's operating on this earth that's tied to the old you. And to put off the old ways is a choice. It's a choice. No, it's not a prayer. It's a choice. People love to think that we're going to pray away our sin or pray away our actions. God, please don't let me do this again. Please stop me from doing this. Please, God. Those are all silly prayers. Those are la-la land prayers. Those aren't truthful prayers as lined up in Scripture. And people need to know this because when you get to the place where you quit trying to pray away a problem and start making a choice to not do the problem, that's when you're going to get deliverance. That's when you're going to get freedom. But it's going to be a choice. It's going to completely be a choice. My goodness, a prayer took away the negative. We'd all be perfect a long time ago. Or does God not listen to your prayers? Because you're going to have to deal with that issue. Why are some answered and some aren't? God loves this one better than you. This one stopped. Why didn't you stop? It was taken away. You prayed. Did you see what I'm saying? It, it gets into where you have no ability to have any stability on, on a truth like that because it isn't biblically true. But there's countless tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of believers that believe this kind of stuff. And that's why their lives are really messed up to situations, circumstances, issues, because that's how they define their lives. You're going to have messes on this earth, but that doesn't define who I am. I'm going to screw up in life, but that's not going to define who I am. That's how the world works. I'm not a part in that sense. I'm a new creation. Now I need to make a choice. Put off the old man, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires. Here. How does, what is a desire? It's just something that popped in your head? No, it's, it's something that's been trained. It's a process of what you determine you enjoy, you like, whatever. And that creates a desire in your life. I mean, there are times when I've been in a different country and they put something before me and it stunk. I didn't desire it. Why? Because it smelled. But if they put something that I understood, I experienced, I smelled like, like a McDonald's in South Africa, I desired that. But there are different times when you're sitting there going, I don't desire that. It's, I think something's moving in that bowl. But again, it's all based upon what I've trained myself to like or dislike. Amen? 
I have a young, my young son, he's, a, he's this way. He will say no to everything. He hasn't even tasted it, hasn't even smelled it yet. But his attitude is, no, I don't want to taste it. And you're like going, what? You haven't even. And he's like, I don't care. If it isn't lined up to chicken and french fries, I don't care. Now, his palate, he's got more of a palate than he used to have. I'll put it that way. He's finally, and this is in my home. This is, my home should be a home where when you have soup, it's not really soup. It's the hottest hot sauce you've ever had in your life. And you just sit there and eat it like soup. That's, that should be my house. He wouldn't touch hot sauce. Salsa, it don't matter what it was. Finally, finally, now he's engaged himself in mild sauce. Whoa, 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 no, no, we can't, no, we're not going to the clapping because it can only be on a chip. He won't put it on his taco, only on a chip. I'm like, are you kidding me? But anyway, that's the life of the McCluskeys. So we want to look at this. I want, to, I want you to see uh, the life of Abram, Abraham, the father of our faith in Romans 4.12 says. But in Hebrews 11.17, I want you to look at this. And this out of God's word translation. When God tested Abraham, faith led him to offer his son Isaac. Abraham, the one who received the promises from God, was willing to offer his only son as a sacrifice. God had said to him, through Isaac, your descendants will carry on your name. Abraham believed that God could bring Isaac back from the dead. Abraham did receive Isaac back from the dead in a figurative sense. This is telling me something very special about the father of our faith, and that is something that we need to relate to because he is a type or a shadow. And that is a picture, something that we can learn from that happened in the Old Testament that we can use today. And so I look at the story of Abraham and I look at his life and I can see things that can help me grow or mature as a believer. Because that's why we have a Bible, and that's why we gather together. We don't do this just to come listen to a message. We don't do this just to become, you know, to, to sing some Christianese songs. We don't do that for this purpose. We gather together because we have a desire to grow. We have a desire to learn. We have a desire to want more of what this word has for us. And I believe that's the heart of love life. And I believe it's the heart of many, many, many of you out there. But what we have to do is we have to recognize that. Let's look at this information. Let's pay attention to it because we're going to learn something that can help me on Monday. Believe it or not, what Abraham went through in his life can and will help me in my life today. The Old Testament is filled with stories that represent the Lord Jesus Christ, of him coming, being on this earth, crucified, buried, and risen again. Hundreds and hundreds of promises talking about Jesus. Every book in the Old Testament has something in relationship to Jesus. Is that awesome? 
And so when we start realizing that, we're seeing, okay, God is speaking to people that they might not see it, but the truth is there. He kept saying this to the Pharisees and Sadducees, the religious people. When we see Pharisees and Sadducees, it's almost like we're talking about this sect that's so evil and apart from God. No, it was the number one group of God. It represented God. And we need to look at that picture more than these guys are just weirdos. No, they weren't. They were the definers of God's kingdom. Wrongly, but it didn't matter. They were seen as the main people of the kingdom of God. And Jesus came in and told them, man, everybody in the Old Testament that are part of the story knew I was coming, and they couldn't wait to see it happen. And these guys hated that kind of stuff. They hated to hear anything that dealt with Jesus in that manner. Religion still does it today. You know why? They hate the sound of grace. They hate it. They do not want to hear it. And it's amazing. How could you not? That's why it's amazing grace. I mean, it's, it's just crazy. But it, again, if you read, I mean, truly read the New Testament, the, the, the epistles, the writings of Paul, you will see it there all the time where Paul's warning them against religious people. Why? It's the same today. They're going to put laws, legalism, rules toward your life tied to the greatest gift and greatest sacrifice. Jesus went to the cross without sin so that we could receive the Father through Jesus' work, not ours. But religion flips it, puts the cross to the side, and now says, no, you must earn your salvation. You must not lose your salvation. It's, it's crazy. But I know why they do it. Because people in power and authority need a way to control people. And that's the only reason why it's there control. Because, of course, the person that's behind the pulpit is perfect. But you guys need a lot of help because I'm spiritual. And I'll tell you how many times I sing, how many times I pray, how long I pray in the Holy Spirit. Just as long as you're not the same level as I am. And you'll follow me because of that. I wish I was being goofy and just being overly exaggerative, but I'm not. Two types of tests in the New Covenant, because you just read that Abraham was tested by God. The problem is, is we're going to take that Old Testament, we're going to try to think it's the New Testament, or we're going to manipulate it into something that it doesn't say. I want us to know the truth. Do you want to know the truth? So do I. Scripture always reveals the truth. Again, Scripture will always reveal truth. It's the ones that don't use the Scripture for the revelation of truth that want to keep the bound you to the Old Testament. And believe me, there are so many churches out there that love to stick to the Old Testament. You'll hear them. It's almost in everything they do. Psalms, 
just a constant, constant Old Testament stuff in relationship to you. It should be New Covenant with Old Testament being translated through the New Covenant. But there's a whole lot of people that quote our leaders that are really unlearned in Scripture. That's why I'm training up a bunch of awesome people that can go out there and impact this world. And I'm a good trainer because I was screw up a long time ago, just like those people. Except I chose not to follow that journey, to get off that path and move into truth. Listen, that's normal in life. No one gets it. No one gets all perfect early. We have to go through that process. And that process is, is, well, I'm going the wrong way a little bit. Better turn. There's nothing wrong with that. That's what life's about. That's a good thing to know. Amen. James 1.13 says, when I'm tempted, that word tempted is the same Greek word for tested, okay? When I'm tempted or tested or tried, that literally means to examine or prove something. No one should say God is tempting or testing me. And I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to hear a ton of churches out there that do say this. And here we have James saying, don't do that. Interesting, huh? For God cannot be tempted or tested by evil, nor does he tempt or test anyone. But each one is tempted or tested by his own evil desires. Why? The old life. The old life brings you into temptations, into tests, into trials. The old life does. How do you stop it? Choice. Make the right choice. Amen? Make the right choice. And so we start seeing this and we realize, okay, the temp testing or trying is leaning toward what has been pulling my life for years. I'm not tested on a certain type of dessert when I don't, I don't like it. But throw something, rhubarb, strawberry pie, there, that's going to tempt me, right? It's going to, I'm going to be drawn toward that. Why? Because it's a part of my life. I was drawn toward alcohol one time in my life. I was drawn toward, hold your ears, guys. Other things. <laughs> now, they know I had a past. I, wasn't, I didn't have an awesome life like them. But the thing is, is I was drawn toward those things. And they were a part of my life. And decisions were made because of those things. But see, that's not my life no more. Why? Because God waved his magic wand over me. and I, No, why? Why? What happened? Choices. Choices. Amen? Choices. Now here's the second type of test. This is the one where you go, okay, so we can't do... We, we, I'm not being led by that area, so I should be good? Well, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation, test, or trial has seized you except what is common to mankind, to people. Everything out there that tests or tries you is normal to everybody. It's out there in this world. It says, and God is faithful. Oh my gosh. God is faithful who will not let you be tempted, tested beyond what you can handle. 
Listen, do you think it would be fair for your instructor at school, your teacher, your professor, you're in, you're in uh, let's say you're in a um, calculus math class, and so in the test, your instructor hands you a biology test. And you're like going, what's this? And she says, it's a test. Yeah, but this isn't, it doesn't matter. It's a test. Take it. And if you fail, you're out. That would be unfair, wouldn't it? Wouldn't you say that'd be unfair? Exactly. And that's the way God operates. God operates in that there are tests out there. Why do we need tests? Because I need to determine if I know or not. I need to determine where I'm at. You can't go through school without tests. You can't go through life without tests. It is a part of life, but it isn't a negative one. It's been a negative one only because you didn't study. And y'all know that. Everybody knows that. You didn't study. The test came and you're sweating. And, <laughs> and I know there are some people that they, they, they learn quicker than others or some people that whatever, you know, we, I mean, you've seen them, you know, the, it's the, it's the fifth grader sitting in the front row and, and, and the test comes and they're done like in one minute, teacher, I'm done. Everybody else is like, what? What do you mean you're done? I mean, no one likes that person. But you know, they're out there, right? Yeah, they're signing your checks and everything. All right, moving right along. <laughs> and God is faithful, who will not let you be tempted be, be, beyond what you can bear, what you can handle. But when you are tempted, everybody say, when I am tempted, I don't necessarily like it. When I am tested, I don't necessarily like it. Okay, you don't have to say, when I'm tempted, yo, bring it on. No, you can be truthful. Don't necessarily like it. No, no one really likes tests. I don't even care if you know. You like it because you know you have the answers. But it isn't like you're waking up and going, I'd like a test every week, please. No, you prepared, you're ready. The test is going to be Monday, and you're like, oh, bring it on. But it's only because of the preparation. But you're not going through life bringing on everyday tests. Why? Because you know there's a lot involved to prepare for the test. Well, God's saying the preparation is life and you're going to be tested, but he's also up there going, not, not, no, no devil, no world. You're not going to cheat. That's, that's my son. That's my daughter. You're not cheating on them. But see, most Christians are going through life. They're missing the test and screwing up. Why? Because they don't know the father's voice here. They don't know this voice. See, I'm giving you his voice. His voice is this. God is faithful, that he won't allow you to be tested beyond what you're able to handle. So the father is like going, now move that test aside. That's not, no, no, that ain't going to work. That's not going to work. How does he do it? This is the old mindset of years and years ago, what I used to believe, that God will open a door and make a way that you can run out of the room. Let me out of here. And he slams the door, and you're like going, oh, thank you, Father, for getting me out of that terrible situation. And that's why most people teach it. But that's not at all 
Not at all what the scripture teaches. At all. Everything about this word in the Greek language, everything about the original is this. And God won't, you, won't allow you to be tested that way. But what he will do is he will empower you for the ability to deal with that pressure in the time being. That's what the teaching is. Why? Because God never, never has taught us that running away or being bailed out constantly will ever mature or grow you into success. It's impossible. Impossible. That's why when you train up a child, the whole word is discipleship. It's not anything that's quick. It's a process of time. And that means there are going to be times when you do fail. There's going to be times when you do scrub. It's going to be times when a pop quiz comes that it pops you right upside the head. But that's life. But this is the God we serve. Abraham was tested, but it's a picture of faith for us to see. Amen? Genesis chapter 22. Let me get you to the place of this story. Abraham's approximately 113, 118 years old, somewhere around there, because Isaac is about 13 years old to approximately 16, 17, right around there. Abraham had Isaac at 100 years old. He's about, again, he's a teenager. So Abraham's up there in age, right? Sarah's over 100 years old now. And God's going to come on the scene and do something very interesting but very special with Abraham. You see, Abraham's promised to have a seed that's so massive that you can look up the stars and God will say, that's what it's going to look like. And what does that mean? You can't count them. He says, it's going to look like this. Look at the sand. And Abraham looks at the sand. He says, can you count it? And Abraham's like going, are you kidding me? And he goes, exactly. That's what your, your seed is going to produce. So see, Abraham has this promise that's tied to us because he's the foundation. He's the father of our faith. And it's so wonderful and so beautiful about the story because we're going to see a picture of someone that we need to look at and go, you know what? Got this. Because he had the ability to get it. He didn't have scriptures. He didn't have Bibles. He didn't have churches. He's the beginning. Just him. Just him and his mistakes. Just him and his lying. Just him and his deception. Yeah. Just Abraham. Not a perfect man, but someone that had a connection with the Father. That's the key. And in Abraham, chapter, Genesis chapter 22, verse 1, it says, Sometimes later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied. Here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much. Now process this and think about this. God's speaking to Abraham right now. Abraham has been hanging out with his son. I'm sure they're playing, you know, call of duty in Jerusalem and having a good old time. 
just enjoying life together. He's got a teen. And just listen, from, from birth now, you know this is like, Isaac, man, this is my boy. This is my boy, my miracle boy. It's so awesome. And Sarah, you know, I mean, they just, they're loving life. And so here we have this picture where God comes on the scene and now talks to Abraham and says, Abraham, I got something for you. I want us to pay attention to Abraham and how he responds to this. Because I'm going to tell you right now, no way I'm doing it this way. But I'm not Abraham. Take your son, your only son, whom you love so much, this is how God speaks. And I want you to sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. What? Are you kidding me? Uh, what? Whoa, God. Listen, I know what I'm doing. I'm going, oh, it's those enchiladas, man. I just, I, it must have been a dream. God's going, Abraham, yeah, you're still here? <laughs> this is what I told you to do. I want you to do this. And I mean, my thoughts would be, maybe he meant Ishmael. You know, the maid, you know, that we, we screwed up and I got with the maid and we have a kid named Ishmael and we sent him off into a distant land. Maybe you met Ishmael, God. Say it again, please, slow. Isaac. Checking. It's all just checking. You know, my ears getting a little old. And so we have this picture where God speaks to him and says, this is what I want you to do. The next morning, now look at this Abraham. This is Abraham, the father of our faith. The next morning, Abraham gets up early. See, I already got a problem with Abraham. Not the early part, because that's my life. I get up early every day. But I'm talking about, you just were told that you're going to have to go sacrifice your only son, who you love so much. God threw that in there. Whom you love so very much. Not Isaac, the son I gave you, and you're like going, what a mess is he? The rebellious little punk, he doesn't come home on time. I just don't know why he gave me this guy. This guy is a loser. He's, he's a gangbanger down the street. He paints graffiti on things. No, this is Isaac who has been being trained up by Father Abraham. And it's a beautiful, beautiful picture that we're going to watch. Abraham gets up early, he saddles his donkey, he takes two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac. The interesting, it said, along with his son Isaac, because that would have been a perfect place where that night, Isaac, I'm going to go off on a trip. What I want you to do is hide. Don't ask questions. I'm going to call your name, you hide, and I'll talk to you later. Isaac, time to go. Isaac, where are you? Nah, we can't find him. Come on, guys, let's go. Nope, didn't happen that way. He gets up early, saddles his donkey, calls two guys to go with them. He chops wood for a fire for the burnt offering, sets out on the place God had told him about. On the third day of the journey, Abraham looks up, saw the place in the distance. He tells the guys, his servants, stay right here. 
with the donkey. The boy and I are going to go further up the mountain. We're going to worship up there. And then we both are going to come back down. What did God say to Abraham? Sacrifice your son. What did, God, what did Abraham say to people? We're coming back down. See, this is a picture of faith that I want you to look at because what you need to understand is, is this is about Abraham. It's not about God. He didn't say God tested God, right? No, this is about Abraham. And guess what? It's also about Isaac. Abraham and Isaac are going through a picture, a beautiful, beautiful picture that we all need to look at. Because it is a picture of faith. It's a picture of confidence. It's a picture of security. But we need to all recognize that this is something that a non-perfect person is doing. person that you would look at and say, you'd have to be Jesus to accomplish something like this. But it isn't. It's Abraham. He sells his wife twice. No, not thought about it. He sold her two times. Sold her to another guy. This isn't for you guys. Don't even think about it. Don't meditate on it. Don't process this. Don't roll it over. It's in the Bible, Pastor. It's in the Bible. Yeah, but it's not in the Bible. It's something good. So fleeting thoughts go by, 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 right? And so here we have this picture of Abraham and now we're looking at something very special. I want you to, can those, you guys get that um, table? Get that table for me. You guys give me a hand. Get that table, that wood. Don't all jump up at once. I know it's a little heavy table and I might look like I can't carry it. Come on, guys, let's go. Get the wood. Uh, be careful with that knife. Yep. Yeah, I just set it right here. Right here, right here's good. Matthew, come up here. All right, you know how we like to do things real here. It's very sharp. All right, buddy, this is what's going to happen. You come over here. I'm Abraham, you're Isaac. Right over here. Abraham's going to give you the wood. All right, hold on. I'm going to give you the rope. And the Bible says that his son and Abraham looked like this. It's amazing that the Bible had to say Abraham carried the knife in the fire. Because see, he's taken up his son to sacrifice him, to kill him. He has a son carrying the wood, so it's not this picture, and this is what religion does. It wants to show you a picture of like this four or five-year-old kid. That's ridiculous. First of all, he's not only carrying the lumber, the wood for the sacrifice, but they're going up a mountain. If you've ever hiked with a backpack and going up a mountain, it's not simple. There's, it's rough. It's like, <laughs> we're there yet? It's only been 30 feet. You got a long ways to go. And here he is carrying the wood carrying the rope, 
and Abraham has the knife and the fire. What you need to understand is, is this is something that he is so familiar with. Why? Because Abraham trained up his kid. He trained up his child in the way he should go. He knew exactly how a sacrifice operated because he watched his dad do it time and time again. He watched him go to church every Sunday. He watched him talk about God. He watched him in his actions. And you see all this in the life of Isaac, which is very, very important because Isaac is the key. So we come to the place of the altar. Abraham builds the altar, and he takes the wood. He sets it up. On the way there, Isaac, carrying the wood, starts realizing, wait a minute, we're missing one thing. One thing's missing. Listen, Dad, I, we do this all the time. I know what's missing. We're missing a lamb. We need a lamb. Isaac says, I got the wood, the rope, you got the knife, the fire. Where's the sacrifice? And Abraham looks to his son and says, uh, God will provide one. Worry about it, buddy. One will come. Now. One will come. Sacrifice will come. Now. Uh, sacrifice. We're going to sacrifice. Yep. Actually, son, the Lord told me to sacrifice you. What does Isaac do? It's the first known time that Isaac cussed and hit his father. No. What did Isaac do? See, this is so important because Abraham's 113, 115 years old. Isaac's not a little punk. Isaac actually probably could push his father and go, run, and run down the mountain going, my dad's crazy. Let's go, guys, get out of here. He's crazy trying to kill me. I'm going to tell mom. That's not what happens. What happens? Isaac gets on the altar. Abraham Lay down, son. Get your hands out. No, right here. I'm going to tie you up. I don't want you to escape. <laughs> Ties up. Ties up his son. No, I mean, he tied him up. And Isaac's laying on an altar. Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders. He carried, him he carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham said, we have the fire, we have the wood. Where's the sheep for the burnt offering? God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son. And they both walked on together. Now think about Abraham. What is Abraham doing? Freaking out? No. 
Is his mind going a little crazy? Yeah, totally. I'm sure his mind is doing all kinds of stuff, but his heart is saying, God provides. He hasn't let me down. God provides. You see, Abraham has walked with God over 25 years now. He has a relationship. He has a strong relationship. God said that his seed will multiply, that he will be blessed, that he's going to operate in this, this, this life that's beyond what this world can even imagine. And he's done it. He's walked on this earth so far in this connection with God, in this relationship with the Father, him and the Father. The Bible even says that God called him his friend. That's how tight their relationship was. Was he perfect? No, far from it. But what did, what did Abraham have? He believed. He believed. Even in his mistakes, even in his problems, he believed. I mean, there are so many times where God did the miraculous, so many times that God used him. There was a time when, when these, these three warrior kings came down and started wiping out, literally wiped out 10 nations, including Sodom and Gomorrah, one where his nephew Lot lived. And we're talking about a, a kingdom with tens of thousands of soldiers wiping out 10 nations. And Abraham gets 300 guys. 300 guys. He has to travel over 100 miles. And he whoops them. He wipes them out. Takes everything from them. That is not possible. But when you have, I've got this mindset, all things are possible to those who believe. He believed. He recognized that Lot's in trouble, and I'm the only family he has. That requires me to go help that rotten kid. Because Lot was not a good nephew. He moved in to Sodom and Gomorrah. He lived amongst them. He was not doing his church attendance. But it's Abraham's nephew. And he goes and delivers him. God has a big, big victory through this. What happens? We see that Abraham, with relationship with God, takes the fire and the knife and goes up to his son, binds him, puts him on this, this rock and this wood, this altar that he has seen where death has taken place with fire, blood, screaming. Ah! Ah! And now here he is in that same position. Abraham builds the altar, ties his son up, lays him down on the altar. Abraham picks up his knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. Abraham, his son, think about this. I want you to look at the whole process of 
Hold on tight. The whole process of Abraham, but I want you to pay attention to Isaac because I think this is beyond a picture of a test of Abraham. Can he do it? I believe it's a test of the promise because there is the promise of the multiplied seed. If this ends, there is no multiplied seed. The whole promise is the, saw, the, the stars of the sky, the sands of the earth. See, Abraham knows his faith. Abraham knows where he's at. But now he's got his teenage son. And now he's thinking, my, my life is coming to an end. Is he going to carry this on? And what does he see? He sees a son that doesn't fight back. He sees a son that says, this is a little crazy, Dad. I believe you. I believe you. Abraham raises the knife. The Bible says something very interesting, and I pay attention to the words, is, is that when he's about to do it, he stopped. But what really gets me is what the scripture says. It says that he had to look up, find the ram. Now, those words might not mean a lot to you, but I want you to pay attention to them because what is it that we're really seeing? What we're not seeing is this. No, we're seeing someone that has no doubt in his heart that no matter what, if he has to plunge the knife into a son, he knows that God's going to raise him from the dead. No, your eyes, Zeke, be good. He knows. And so as he does this and gets ready, what happens? God says, no, stop, stop. Abraham, Abraham. Yes, I'm right here. And he says, I believe. I believe you. I see your faith. And Abraham's like going, are you sure? Because you've been really screwing with me, God. I mean, listen, you test me this way. I mean, was not circumcision a test already? What is up with that? Did that didn't prove anything? I mean, taking rocks, are you kidding me? That was a test, and now you're doing this? No, he didn't do that. I would have. But he didn't do that. Can you imagine Isaac? Isaac right now is like going, Woo! Woo! Hallelujah! You know he's become a major believer because now he's able to get up. No, I know. Go ahead, Isaac. Go sit down. Thank you. Isaac's like going, you didn't tie the knife tight enough, and I was ready to run right away. But what happens? Isaac now is walking away because now there's another lamb that gets placed in the altar. You see, what we need to understand is this, is how does a guy like Abraham follow through and how does a son like Isaac submit to it? Relationship. You see, they weren't reading their Bibles. 
every day, memorizing scripture. They weren't having worship time on Sundays. No. They had a relationship. And what I'm trying to get our church, Love Life, the family to understand is it's all about relationship. Oh, yeah, attendance, church, all, all important. Scripture, important. Praise, important. Worship, important. Prayer, important. All of it's important. But all of it is tied to one thing, relationship. I don't come to church only but through relationship, not duty. I don't do it for duty. I don't do it for a job. And there are countless tens of thousands of people out there that have churches that do it because it's money. It's a job. I don't. I was successful before. I can be successful now. Not a job. Never has been, never will be. I was doing this for over 20 years, not getting a cent, and I could care less. Like I said, I didn't get into this for the money. Are you kidding me? There ain't no money in this. But God's blessing is on my life because I've been faithful. If he didn't call me this, I'd still have God's blessings because I was faithful at swinging a hammer. I was faithful at whatever I needed to do, and I did it with joy of the Lord. And that's what produced my connection relationship. It wasn't about what can I get from him. It was about what can I do? James says to end this off that this is about an action of faith that we need to pay attention to. Because everybody can say, I believe in God. He goes, even devils say that. You'll hear that. I mean, you'll hear this countless hundreds of times on TV. You'll see actresses and actors and athletes go, you know, talk about God. You know their lives have nothing to do with God, but they all talk trash about God. I mean, you know, hey, yo, oh God, thank God, thank God. So what? Thank God. Anybody can thank God. And that's what, that's what James was saying. So what? He goes, we need the faith in action. Faith in action. You see, that's the connection or the commitment to relationship. How long do you think your wife's going to enjoy you going, happy birthday, Merry Christmas, happy anniversary with no gift? No card, no gift, nothing. You just saying, happy anniversary, Merry Christmas, happy birthday with no gifts, nothing. How long is that going to last? I say one anniversary and you're already in the doghouse. There, I mean, there is not, there's not, if you miss a birthday, then you better run for your life. But there's no such thing as relationship tied to without a connection in the relationship. You guys hearing me? And you all know relationships, acquaintances, you don't get them a birthday present. You say, happy birthday. And as the relationship gets closer and tighter, the gifts get more expensive, right? Coworker, a friend, hey, happy birthday. Here's a $5 iTunes card. Hey, thank you. Try that with your best friend. Try that with your wife. Try that with your husband. Here you go. No, that ain't going to work. It's like going, no, we ain't buddies. 
No, the relationship demands what? It demands a higher gift, right? Isn't that true? Isn't that true? I'll buy your kids a birthday present if there's a connection, but it ain't going to be what I would buy. I'm not going to buy them, you know, the brand new Xbox X series. I'm not even going to get your kid a game. They're too expensive. <laughs> well, we'll find something for 20 bucks at Target. Whatever, you know? It's, just, it's the thought, right? But the, the relationship, it isn't, you, you know, uh, the closer that relationship, the higher level. Are you guys hearing this? That relationship was tight with Abraham and the father. A tight relationship. They had something wonderful that God is wanting us to have. Isaac is a type of Jesus. Isaac carried the wood up a mountain to the sacrifice. Jesus carried wood up the mountain to a sacrifice. He was laid on the altar. Isaac was laid on the altar. The only thing difference between Isaac and Jesus is Isaac had sin nature. Jesus didn't. Isaac was a picture of this has to be changed. Bring a lamb. And God provided a lamb. God's not asking you to go to cross. He's asking you to receive the lamb that was slain on the cross. The relationship will give you the ability to know that you've got this. Build the relationship. Make it tight. Hang out with God. Talk with God. He wants it. You need it. Everybody bow your heads. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the truth of that word. I ask that every person that in the sound of my voice recognizes the responsibility to do something, take action. Your faith is stirred in recognizing that I need to have change. I need to do something different than I've been doing it. Abraham had the ability to do the impossible. Isaac had the ability to submit to the impossible. And they both came out champions. I know that's what you want. And here's your opportunity. Quit running away from God, run to him. Quit walking away from the truth, run to the truth. Let him reveal his love toward you. But you need to do it by the step of faith of asking Jesus in your life. If you're in this morning that have never received Jesus, I want you to say this with me out there. If you've never received Jesus, say this with me. Say, Jesus, I ask you to come into my life. I believe in you. I want this new life. I want to become a friend of God. I believe in you, Jesus, and I thank you for what you did for me. Thank you, Jesus, for I am now part of your family. You prayed that prayer for the very first time in here. I want you to raise your hand real high so I can see you. I have a gift I want to give you out there. If you, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, just click that button. Say, I prayed that prayer. Do it, and, and, and we are going to believe God for that great miracle to take place in your life as well. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the word, and we have great expectation for great change taking place not only in here, but throughout the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys. Be blessed.
Thanks again for listening. To hear more encouraging messages just like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. If you loved what you received, please consider rating it and sharing it with your friends and family. For more information about Love Life and getting connected with us, go to lovelife.church. We love you and are believing God's best for you. Thank you.